morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a Pen and a Napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back into Winning Time, episode number 12. And the title of this week's episode is The Magic is back. And speaking of the magic being back, it is, of course, in the flesh on the other end of the phone, the church league champion himself, slow pitch softball legend, Mr. Casey Hall. How are you tonight, sir? Good, coach. How are we doing? I'm doing all right. I, I'm just, uh, give us 20 seconds on the, the church league championship that was won last weekend. Well, there wasn't. There wasn't much competition. It was pretty much uh, church leagues going away. The numbers are dropping, but we played well enough to beat who we needed to do to win. Okay. All right. Well, hey, don't give away that many details. You just you need to. I don't think the YouTube people were there recording anything, so you could have embellished all you wanted to, and yeah. it, it'd have been all right. So, but uh, no. Hey, uh, congratulations on that. We are here to talk about episode number twelve of Winning Time, and like we said. The Magic is back. A really short episode, Casey. Only about 40, 46, 47 minutes of running time. That was the first thing that kind of jumped out to me. But I thought it was yeah. a pretty good episode. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I was shocked, too. I watched it. Um, I I kind of watched some of it last night, and then I fell asleep during it. So I had to watch it again today after work. And I was like, man, I probably could have stayed awake for this. It was only, yeah, 45 minutes or so. I was like, dang, that was quick. Yeah, because when but I... It was, but but they did throw a lot of good stuff in there for the short amount of time. Um, not to give away my rating too much, but the 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 pace of the show and and what they're doing with it this season through two episodes is, in my opinion, light years ahead of what they were doing last year. I think they literally listened to us, Casey. Yeah, I think I think they have because it, it so far the first two episodes have been very very good. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, let's kind of build on that. Just any, what, what other overall thoughts did you have on the episode? Um, I'll let you go. I'll, I'll let you kind of roll with it. Just kind of some of your overall overarching themes, some of the things that you, that you observed as you watched it. Um, I liked, I liked how, uh, they did a lot of the storyline with magic coming back from the injury, um, showing the confrontations they had in the locker room, some, disgruntled players that um, had issues with it um, and really showing part of Norman um, how he handled the whole situation and everything he was going through. And then on top of that, I kind of forgot about this. And now I was very young when this happened, but I mean, I've read up on it and everything, but I, I kind of forgot about the trade that they wanted to do. Mm-hmm with david thompson and norm dixon yeah uh i, I kind of forgot about that um, until they started talking about it again i was like oh yeah that did go down mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but like the in-depth behind the scenes with the management and the coaching staff on how they wanted to do it um and then dealing with the whole magic coming back thing. So I thought I thought it was very good, showed good pace, mm-hmm. uh, and had a good storyline talking on seeing behind the scenes with the management and then behind the scenes with how the team was dealing with magic coming back. Yeah. Um, yeah, a couple things about that. Uh, fourth reference from the book. Uh, I'm going to try and keep a running total of it here, Casey. That's that's number four. Right. Three, three last week, one so far this week. Um 
Magic and Norm were, according to the book, very, very competitive uh, in a lot of different ways, including uh, with women. And yeah. but they got along really well. They they hung out, and uh, we had uh, the the hugging scene. Uh, yeah. You know, let's let's hug it out. You know, and yeah. and what was interesting about that was, uh, you know, Michael Cooper was the guy that brought them together, and and Cooper was actually the go between with uh, between Norm Nixon and Magic uh, for. The, the tenure that they were together, he was the, he was the guy that kept the two guys together. They were they were friends, they were good friends, but there was a natural competitiveness between the two of them. Um, so that was a pretty organic way to show Cooper's role in that three guard relationship between those three guys. So um, I thought that was really good. Um, the the pace of it was was really good. Would you, sir? Um, mm-hmm. would you have done the David Thompson trade? Yes, I would have. No, knowing that he had a crippling cocaine habit at the time. Well, I think, I think that was already known anyway. Yeah. I mean, but yes, I would have. I mean, that he, what, what did he do? He went to Seattle. Yes. So like he had one good year there and then he got hurt and had nagging injuries for a couple of years. So he was kind of. Hit or miss. Now you don't know if he would have got injured in LA or not. But yeah. I mean, you put. I mean, that'd be the big three, like what it is nowadays, where all the teams are trying to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would. Yes, I would have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's he, just me. But yeah, yeah. He averaged that eighty eighty one season. He averaged twenty five a game. Um, but that's when the the. Uh, the cocaine stuff really started. He he fell to 15 points a game in 81-82. The Nuggets obviously knew something was up. Um, he started he started his substance abuse problems. Uh, this is a real quick deep deep dive on Wikipedia. Uh, mm-hmm. His substance abuse problems began uh, after his foot injury that sidelined him for quite a bit of the 1979-80 season. He was just alone, so forth and so on, and then by uh, his career-ending 1984 knee injury resulted from him being shoved down a stairwell during a fight at Studio 54, of all places. So, um, And who knows, maybe if he goes to the Lakers, maybe he cleans himself up. But according to the book, depending on who you're talking to, anywhere, uh, it was guesstimated that about three-fourths of the Lakers at least dabbled in a bit of... Uh, the cocaine stuff. It wasn't just Spencer Haywood. Uh, most of the guys used it recreationally. Uh, the two guys that did not were Magic and Kareem, but a lot of the other guys were very much into the L.A. party scene in the early 80s and that type of thing. So it very well could have sped up his demise, or maybe he would have cleaned it up being around a winner with the Lakers. Who knows? So um, Would you would you done the trade? You know, I see where Westhead was coming from. I do understand his perspective. Uh, you see the talent, but they had won the championship the year before with the chemistry that they had had. Um, and one of my uh, coaching uh, concepts that you're going to take from this episode, uh, the locker room can be a very fickle place, as you and I both know, Case. And yeah. uh, sometimes they say in the pros, you need to make a deal every couple of years to kind of keep everybody on their toes. I don't know how much I believe that. Obviously, I've never been a professional general manager. Um, you know, Magic wasn't ready uh, to come back, fully ready to come back. He wasn't ready to be Magic Johnson yet. 
So um, at the time, you know, let's say all cards on the table and you're just trading player for player. Yeah, it was a no-brainer, but I'm not going to sit there and go, Paul Westhead was an idiot for vetoing the trade because he was worried about the team's chemistry, but the team's chemistry was already kind of falling apart, and we kind of saw that in episode, we talked about it in episode one, and those little fissures in the dam were starting to to creak away, and Riley uh, really started to make himself, uh, he started to really find himself here, these first two episodes, especially this episode here. He's, we're starting to see Pat Riley into evolve into what Pat Riley will become. Yep, I agree there. Yeah. I just think I just think with the trade, like I mean, we know what happens with Westhead, and I mean it hasn't happened on the episode yet, but everyone kind of knows what happens when Riley takes over. It's like you put him, but you do that Showtime with David Thompson, Michael mm-hmm. Cooper, Kareem, and Magic. Yeah, that would have been. Very interesting. Now, who knows what would have happened with draft picks and the trade where they got Byron Scott and everything. So, yeah, yep. I was it just. Could all be, it could all change no matter what. Yeah. Um, they traded, uh, they traded Norm Nixon in night after the 83, or right before the 83 84 season for Byron Scott. And yeah. Byron Scott ended up extending the, the, the dynasty. He was kind of the perfect two guard to play along with, with Magic, as as we well know. So, um, so you know, probably and, and who knows? Maybe Thompson comes in and they're awesome for eighty one, eighty two, or nineteen. You know, they win the championship in eighty one, but then the personal demons start creeping up, and maybe it turns out to be a negative thing in the long run. Maybe it's a short lived right. dynasty as well. So, shoulda, coulda, woulda, shoulda, coulda, right. woulda. Yeah. So, um. Favorite song of the episode, myself personally, Casey, "Urgent" by Foreigner. That was a nice little, uh, nice little uh, add-in, just like we had "Girls on Film" from Duran Duran last week. So I, I, I enjoyed that early '80s reference there musically yeah. in that regard. So, uh, any other overview things that you had? No, I think we hit everything there. I mean, it was a good episode for sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's dive into it. Best scene. Of the episode, I have one, two. I have three of them that um, that I really liked. Um, actually, probably four of them. I got to add one here. Uh, Riley and Magic in the training room uh, when Magic's in the in the cold bath. Now, yep. hats off to Magic Johnson for sitting in a cold bath that long. I'd be in and out yes. in about eight seconds. That's uh, me personally. So, yeah. Um, and again, I, I loved. We're starting to see the evolution of Pat Riley. This was a uh, this was a a Riley episode here. Um, Riley and Westhead talking about the Thompson trade, and and Riley uh, gets in his face in the office. You know he's in your head. He's talking about McKinney because McKinney does end up winning uh, the NBA Coach of the Year that year with the Indiana yeah. Pacers, um, and you know so you can see that there. Um, and then Westhead when it's Westhead. Riley, Charmin, and Jerry Jerry West in another <laughs> epic Jerry West. Only he can string together profanity in such a way uh, like a Shakespearean sonnet, Jerry West, uh, vetoing uh, the Thompson deal. And then uh, 
yeah, three of the four of these, all four of them feature Pat Riley, and three of four of them have Riley and Westhead, uh, where Riley confronts Westhead on the, or when Westhead confronts Riley on the the flight back from Houston. Uh, wrong place, wrong time, Paul, to to do that. You got you got to be better than that. So th- those are my four favorite episodes. What'd you have? So I, or uh, not I episodes, had, scenes. Sorry. I had uh, both of them with Jerry West. The first one where he came in and brought the trade to him, brought the trade, saying, "Hey, let's let's look into this mm-hmm. um, with Pat and Paul." And then the other one where uh, Paul vetoed the trade, mm-hmm. and Jerry just loses his mind. That was yeah. that was epic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would I, if that legitimately happened. I mean, if that was true, how it happened that way, like I'd love to been a fly on that wall. <laughs> um, any other ones? Um, I had I had uh, uh, game one after uh, Michael Cooper um, in the locker room after game one oh. post game. I had that down as a good scene where he lit him up and told him to hug it out and mm-hmm. say I'm sorry and apologize. So I, I thought that was pretty good and Kareem jumping in on that too. Yep, yep. Kareem uh, didn't say much, but when he did, they, they listened. So, uh, so if we combine our votes together, if we combine our lists together. I think uh, Westhead vetoing the Thompson deal, that would be our favorite episode of the week. Yes. Or fa- yes. Why do I keep saying episode? Favorite scene of the week. Jeepers criminy. I, my head's all over the place. So. Yeah, no, for sure. That was the best part of it. That was the best scene. Okay. Coaches, you know just as well as I do that we're always looking for new and different ways to motivate our players and programs. But sometimes it's hard to find that perfect source that we're looking for. Over the past 25 years, I've collected hundreds of handouts to help motivate my players and programs, and now I'd like to share some of my favorites with you. The A Pen and a Napkin 101 Best Handouts Booklet is now available to you for only $15. In this booklet, you'll find motivational material for all types of situations and individuals to help you communicate your values to your players and program. For ordering information, you can either DM me on Twitter or email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com for details. Worst scene of the episode. I've just got, I've got two, and I've got a massive bone to pick on one of them. This is without a doubt my least favorite scene, but I'm going to let you go first, and then I'm going to get, I'm probably going to get on my soapbox uh, here. So you go ahead and go first on this one. We'll see if we, um, we'll see if we match up. Both of them involve Jerry Buss. Okay. I had two of them. Okay. One of them where he's talking to Claire in the office about honey and him dreaming about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on top of that one is when he drives to wherever she's teaching at some school. Mm-hmm. Um, that one. And then the party at his house for his mom. Mm-hmm. Those those were the those were the scenes that I was just like, why? What? what's the point here? I mean, I understand they're trying to get a storyline with Bus, trying to keep him involved and everything. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if we needed to. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I just didn't feel like it was part of anything that I needed to learn about the Lakers in that season. Yeah. So I will agree with you. One of my two was the the dating scenes uh, you know i'll kind of lump them together again like you were talking yeah. about when he was talking with claire 
and then he go he drives. I think she had like a preschool in her house or something like that, or what she was. Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know if it was like she was teaching us preschool or what. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So those two, and and then they go on the date, and they end up at his his uh, place, and she's telling him yeah. the story about uh, Mulholland Drive. Which, by the way, my family and I drove down Mulholland Drive while we were out in L.A. last year. So oh, nice. it was pretty, it was pretty cool actually. So so those, uh, yeah, I'm kind of lumped those together. So, Mister Hall, are you ready for me to get on my soapbox? All right, let's okay. go. All right, here. That's me climbing up. I'm on top of the soapbox now. Are we ready? Uh, All right. If you are going to make a show about basketball, for the love of all that is good in the world, the one thing that these Hollywood directors screw up every single time is the last huddle in the game where the coach has to draw up the final play of the game. There's only been two examples of this that it's ever been even close to being realistic. One of them is the great Norman Dale from Hoosiers when Jimmy Chitwood says, I'll make it. And the other one is our guy Nick Nolte from Blue Chips where he draws up the lob play for Shaquille O'Neal. It's the only time where it's even remotely close. And I mean remotely close to what happens at the end of a huddle. You're not quoting Shakespeare. You're not telling magic. Look for here, option one. Look for here, option two. You know, that type of thing. And, and, and you know, he didn't even he didn't have a whiteboard out. He didn't have the guys sat in front of him. It was a bunch of guys huddled up in a circle. They have no idea when they're doing it. And I'm not picking on the Showtime show. I'm not picking on winning time here. It's every single time in every single basketball movie that these directors do this. And it drives me absolutely insane because they got the uniform numbers, right? They got Moses Malone out there. They've got a fat guy Billy Potts out there in number five for the Houston Rockets in 1981. They're doing so much right for the love of all that is good in the world. Please get the huddle scene correct. <sighs> yeah, they just kind of say, hey, get the ball and this person will do this person. That never happens. Like, yeah, you're going to say do this, but you're going to have a whiteboard out and you're going to draw them and say, hey, you need to be here. Yes. Yeah, it was, it's, it, you're right. I, I never even thought about it that way. Like, you were right, though. Like, you name the two movies that you actually do see something drawn up. It actually happens. Yes. You know, we're, they're going to run the picket fence and use Jimmy as a distraction. And I forget who they, uh, you know, if, if Tony Chapman was on here, he'd be able to quote it word for word, uh, chapter and verse. Uh, but, uh, t- I had to get that out. I've been holding that in for a few hours here, uh, Casey. So, uh, God, it just drives me up a wall, you know? And and that's why I'm such a big fan of Blue Chips, because I think it's the most authentic basketball movie ever made. Uh, and, and I don't know, did you hear when I had Rex Walters on a couple of weeks ago? And he was he was, talk, he was talking about his experience filming uh, Blue Chips? Uh, I don't think I, I've listened to that one yet. Okay. Uh, I'm was, a little behind. Okay. I, I forgive you. I forgive you, but, uh, but yeah, he was, you know, it's, it's just, he said Patino was out there really coaching him and he was on him and they'd bring him over and you could tell he had a system and, and he knew what, he, you know, he just, he was basically just Rick Patino is, is yeah. he, did, he didn't act. And, and I, it just, it just drives me up a wall. It just drives me up a wall. Every single basketball movie, they do this and it just, <sighs> sorry, 
I, I, I blew a larynx on that one, but I, I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. I just, it just drove me nuts watching that. So, um, I'm over it now, Casey. I feel better. I feel right. cleansed. You're okay. I, I, I feel, <laughs> I feel cleansed now. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, grade the basketball realism A to F. Um, I had a good solid B here, buddy. Um, I had a good solid B, uh, B to a B plus. Uh, you know, a couple of things here uh, that I liked. Uh, talking about the Thompson trade, uh, Magic really did airball that shot um, at the end of Game Three of that mini series. I liked that they had the you know the three game mini series and and they they put in the you know just the 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 details that they had. You know, Houston did finish under five hundred that year, even though they ended up making a run to the finals where they got beat by the Celtics. Uh, but he really did, um, he did miss, you know, he did airball that shot, you know, and all those things were, were pretty accurate there. Um, the trade deadline two weeks before the season is over. Um, I know the NBA was not the most well-organized league in the world in 1981, but I'm pretty sure the trade deadline was a lot earlier in the season than two weeks before the, uh, end of the year. Uh, and then, you know, hugging in the locker room, um, I, I don't know about you, but I've never experienced that in 28 years of coaching. Yeah. Um, that's just that's just me. So, uh, yeah, I gave it a I gave it a B. I gave it a B. I just couldn't overlook the the inaccuracies of the trade deadline uh, uh, part of it. And like I said, um, there's no crying in baseball, and there's no hugging in a basketball locker room at halftime when you got two guys that are upset with each other. So, that's what I had. What'd you have, bud? I had I had a B as well. Um, I liked I liked how you kind of got. I mean, it wasn't you didn't see as much basketball on the floor. Yep. As we saw in the first episode, but you saw I liked how we saw the behind the scenes with everything that was trying to go on with the trade and the, the scrunnel teammates with Magic mm-hmm. and coming back from the injury and um, how Pat and Paul handled the situation. I liked all that stuff because. Because you feel like, I mean, like you said, neither one of us has been in a NBA management system or position before. But like, you got to think that some of that that they showed, that's my how. That might, that's probably how some of it goes as the year goes on. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was I thought that was really good mm-hmm. um, how they did that. But yeah, like the hugging thing, I don't know if that would happen. Um, I do think like the press like the media guy mm-hmm. um that was kind of trying to ruffle the feathers of everything which you did a good job of i think i think that can happen yep um in real life mm-hmm. do we know who was that um did they ever say who that person was i think he was a random newspaper reporter but according to the book reference five um Norm Nixon had some pretty loose lips, and when stuff leaked to the press, uh, it wasn't always Norm Nixon, but there was a decent chance that Norm Nixon was the guy that was kind of letting the dirt out of the locker room a little bit. Um, I just wondered, I just wondered, like, if it was, I mean, probably back then they didn't have beat writers and everything, or it's probably just a random journalist, but I didn't know if there was anybody like famous we would know from the LA Times or something like that. Yeah, I don't think, uh, you know, uh, Bill Plaschke, or I think this is before right. his beat. Um, but, 
I yeah, I, I think it was just kind of reporter number one that we may see creep up again. Uh, like when Magic eventually asks for the trade, which I'm guessing is going to be the cliffhanger. To uh, we were off last week, Casey. We thought uh, yeah. end of episode two, uh, but it looks like it's going to be. I'm going to guess it's going to be the cliffhanger to episode three. Would be yeah. would be my guess. So. Um, yeah, I think he's just going to be random newspaper guy because okay. uh, I didn't catch That's him. I, I didn't catch. Yeah, him. I didn't either. I just wondered if I didn't know if I missed it or not. So okay. So, um, all right. So we're good there. I think uh, yep. the, the Spencer Haywood who made made the most out of the nineteen eighties and survived award. Uh, I think you went first last week. I can go ahead and go first this week on this one, Casey. Okay. I had Paul Westhead. Um, you know, in our jobs, just as high school coaches, you know, you were head coach for a long time. I've been a head coach for a long time. Uh, the self-inflicted pressure and the pressure of your school community and that type of stuff is tough. It takes a while for you to learn how to navigate all of that. And I think that Paul Westhead was really starting to feel the pressure of success and uh, his paranoia uh, got to him. Um, he really, like, if, if he'd have won the NBA championship, but it would have been with, um, at this time period, I don't know. I'm trying to think of just kind of an out-of-the-way franchise during this time period. Uh, the San Diego Clippers or uh, the Dallas Mavericks, uh, he probably would not have have been so paranoid so you know that type of deal and again we all put pressure on ourselves but you know he he won because of mckinney's system uh he won because of magic johnson and we all win because of great players don't get me wrong you know that just as well as i do uh, right but uh you know you could just see some of this was his fault some of it was not his fault some of it was, was it was the uh, you know the disease of me as riley ends up calling it um, and, and I just think that he, he was the one this week where it was like, you know, he's really starting to, you know, last week it was more, okay, just a couple of bad breaks here and there, but this week you could see where Westhead's lack of confidence in himself, even at times is leading to the, the breakdown of his relationships with the team, with the players, with his staff, et cetera. So that's who, that's who I had. I had Norm Dixon. Okay. Uh, just for, I think it was more of like he was doing everything right that he was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And he is the one that got thrown under the bus. Mm -hmm. um, and it didn't like, you could tell it bothered him and he was doing stuff that, like, yeah, to kind of be more flamboyant and out there and loudmouthish, I guess you could say. Yeah. But he still had it was probably his best statistical year of his career. Uh-huh. Um any I mean, who knows if Magic wouldn't have come back, they may have gone farther. Yeah. Um just not having to deal with it just because of the way he was playing. Mm-hmm. Um and that's where I was kind of like talking about his interviews. Like like you said, he you read in your read in the book that he was pretty loose lip. Like he was loose lip, but he was stating the facts. Yeah, um, he wasn't saying anything that they didn't know. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but he just kept playing. Yeah. Like he did everything right. He shot the ball really well, led the team. In a, I think he might have led the league in assists that year. Um, it was – oh, that was a couple years later that he led the league. Was that assists. a couple years later? Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at his at his stats here. He, that year he averaged 17 and 9 assists, 8.8. Uh, 48% from the field, 78% from the free throw line. I mean, he only shot 17% from the three-point line, but nobody shot the three very well during right, that time period, then. you know, yeah. So at the advent of it. So, uh, you know, one, almost two steals a game, so he had to be way up there in that in that um, range as well. So, uh, yeah, I see where you're coming from with it, though. I, I, I do. And, and like I said, that's where I, I look at Westhead and go, was it? I mean, was he right to not trade for David Thompson? Would that have been corrosive to, and and that's the that's the fine line, you know, our beloved Chicago Cubs, Casey, you know, yeah. when when they held on to Rizzo and Bryant and Baez and and a lot of you know Schwarber, uh, these guys that were great hitters in 2016, all of a sudden couldn't hit a watermelon in 2018 for whatever reason. And, you know, how long do you hold on to those guys? And, and that's, that's the art of professional sports management. When to get, you know, that's why Belichick is, has been so amazing what he's done throughout his career. He knows exactly when to let a guy go and, and, and when to hold on to somebody, you know. So, uh, but I see where you're coming there. So, um, anything else? Anything else? I, I, I like your Norm Nixon pick, though. No, that was it. I just, I just thought he had kind of that moment. Like, it was kind of his breakout storyline for the season, or so far in the season. But I think mm-hmm. even through season one and season two. Yep. Yep. Agreed. So, a pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the A Pen and a Napkin Video Library. Uh, the Paul Westhead DNPCD, who should not have been in this episode, Mr. Hall. I'll let you lead on this one. I don't, I, I mean, I know Jerry Buss has to be in it, but I don't think he was needed at all in this episode. Um, we didn't really get much from him besides learning that he's still in love with this lady that he met so many years ago. Mm-hmm. And that he still loves his mom, mm-hmm. even though she passed away two years ago. I mean, I think most people still love their mother no matter what. Um, so we didn't need to add that in there. Yeah. But, so I would say it was Jerry Buss because I don't feel like he had a big part of this episode. Mm-hmm. Now the preview for the next one, I think it's going to be kind of Jerry Buss heavy. Yeah. Um, yeah. With what we saw in the preview coming ahead with magic's contract and everything. But I just yep. felt like this episode him. And I mean, I guess I could even throw in his kids and them talking about what they have going on and their businesses that he gave them. Yeah. I get like, uh, why they included the scene with, 
with uh, Jeannie. You know, right before they had the memorial for yeah. uh, for the mom, it was Jeannie and uh, I think it's John Bus. I can't remember. Yeah, John. Book. Yeah, John. Um, I get why they have that in there because that's part of the Lakers story because of what eventually happens later on down the line. Uh, you know, and the growth of Jeannie Bus as well. But yeah, I, I again in this in this book, I mean, it's four hundred and 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 25 good pages of source material that you don't need i mean jerry buss's love life is not really that necessary unless they're trying to rehabilitate his image that ah he wasn't such a bad guy after all and and yeah he there there were because he did have a gal that he i i did look this up here because uh, the gal's name on the show, Honey something or other. I can't remember her last name, but the first name is Honey. Easy one to remember. He, yeah. he eventually did get remarried in like 1984, and he did have a couple of more children with this uh, with this woman. Uh, her name wasn't Honey. Um, I could look it up here real quick if we really wanted to. Uh, but, yeah, I agree with you. I, I'm not a big fan of the whole Jerry Buss personal story. Uh, Jerry Buss, let's talk about him. Like you said, next week we're going to talk about, um, and I'm a little bit older than you, uh, Casey. Uh, I I remember when Magic, uh, Karen DeMell was her name. Uh, that's that, It was his girlfriend. They never got married. I apologize. Okay. Um, but uh, I remember uh, – around 1982 i remember when magic signed that 25 year 25 million dollar contract and everybody was losing their minds when when that happened you know so i wish they would stick to that uh eventually when westhead does get fired that's jerry buses that's when that's when they need to bring him back in you know stay with that and and let's roll with you know i i see them i understand why they talk about magic and cookie because very famously when magic eventually is diagnosed with AIDS. He just got married to Cookie, and she's pregnant, and and they'd had this long relationship. So all of those things I get, but the yeah, I agree with you there. The Jerry Bus thing, it's it's just kind of weird to figure out. So, um, anything else on that one? Nope, I, I hit it. I just didn't have. I didn't feel like Jerry Bus had a part of that episode. Yep, that was worthwhile. Um, best quote. I've got about six or seven of them to pick from here. Uh. Paul Westhead, suave. Yeah. Suave. So, uh, I agree with Pat Riley on this. The best guys have ego. It comes with the territory. Like, yeah, there's a lot of truth to that, uh, Coach Riley. Um, and then when Riley's talking to Magic, everyone's a hero in their driveway. You know, and he goes on to say, you know, basically it takes guts to take the last shot of a game. So, um, Jerry West. <laughs> Uh, when he's when he's upset with Westhead uh, because he vetoes the trade, he only got the job because Jack took a header off a of effing Schwinn. <laughs> that was good. I like that one too. I had that one written down. Yeah, uh, Riley tells um, Riley tells uh, Westhead, you know, a real coach doesn't need to prove it. Which I really like that one as well. Like I said, I loved Riley in this episode. So. Yeah, he was really good. Um, and then coming out of that last awesome huddle that Westhead put together, you know, great huddle, great huddle. Sorry, again, just a little bitter. Um, 
Chick Hearn breaks away. He says, now we just need to blanking score. Uh, yeah. you know, I thought that was pretty funny, too. So uh, those are my five or six favorite uh, quotes. What did you have, bud? Um, I had uh, Magic send me a chocolate leprechaun when they were talking about oh yeah um and when he was in the locker room yeah the press first game yep yep Mm -hmm. i like that one um westhead i had a good group of guys if i throw some or if i mess with it something like that i could spoil the broth he said that when they were talking about trying to make the trade i thought that was pretty good yep um kareem's one liner when they were talking about bowling keep your ball out of the gutter and you have more money in your pocket when you told <laughs> oh, Dixon that when they were talking when they were that's talking right out there yeah talking out there about going out but they were making up a story kind of because magic want to be involved mm-hmm. um i had the hero one that you had i like that one that was really good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i think that's all i had i think you Rattle off a couple. I had like, oh, I like the. This one was funny just because it was said 15 years from now, no one, no one will even know who Magic is. Yeah. Uh, when Dixon says that, I was, I, 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 I liked it just because it's like, yeah, we all know what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Norm, you, you've got a nice Wikipedia page and Magic Johnson's a billionaire, you know, one yeah. or two times over. So. Yeah, I think we remember who Magic Johnson is, Norm. Sorry. Yeah. So, but, um, you know, that was his bravado. And, and you know, when you get to that level, if you don't have self-confidence, you don't survive. And those guys at times have self-confidence, far too much self-confidence, a lot more than they should. And, and Norm Nixon is kind of an example of that. So, um, coaches are absolutely loving are taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coaching point or concept that you're going to steal from this episode uh, I tell you what, like you said, Casey, there wasn't a ton of basketball on the floor this week, but I thought there were coaching lessons galore to be learned from this episode. Is is that where you were? Yeah, I liked a lot of the just the one-on-one stuff. Um, I think with Pat and Magic were really good mm-hmm. um, from after the first game where he's in the cold bath to the workout sessions one-on-one. Um, I thought those were good. And then, like, the talks they'd have when he got tired and stuff like that, I thought that was really good. Um, those were those were the stuff that I liked, just the building a relationship, showing you how to build a relationship with a player. Yeah. Um, you right. don't have to do it just talking about basketball. It's talking about life and 
who you want to be and everything like that. Yeah, that was that was one of my coaching points is the importance of assistant coaches and, you know, whether it's the actual development of players on the floor the way Riley was working with Magic. And by the way, I think the Lakers had enough money. They could have turned on all the lights in the gym if they really wanted to. I'm just right. I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. You know? <laughs> I, I know the Bus family was, was extended pretty heavily in their credit line there, but I think they could have afforded the electric bill. So. Yes. Um, but like like you said, uh, what I wrote down, Casey, and, and is is creating trust with players on the team, and and you know, for me in my particular situation, uh, you know, I'm I'm a male that's coaching girls, and my female assistant, my varsity assistant, Ginger Duroux, does a great job of building relationships with our young ladies, our young women, because. Uh, you know, there's there's things that they're going to share with me, but they're they're going to share different things that are really important to them with her uh, because she is, you know, who she is, you know, and right. and and I'm sure there's things even with you, uh, you and Kruger, where your your role I'm sure is is much different in that department with Kruger than it was when you were the head coach at Duchenne. You know, oh, yeah. you know, and, and so, uh, but for, but for you guys to do what you want to do this year, what to do, what we would like to do, the steps we would like to make this year, uh, Ginger's job and your job is vitally important to both teams success. And, you know, for Westhead to get jealous of that, that should have, yeah, you should Riley have clearly communicated that. Yes. But at the same time, uh, Westhead's head was in the sand if he didn't know that this stuff was going on for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, and I imagine any any coach, head coach with their salt worth their salt, would have said, "Yeah, you know, Pat, that's a really good thing to do. I'm glad you're doing that. That's the, we he needs the extra work. Uh, we need to bring him back into the fold because that was his biggest worry: bringing Magic into the fold and upsetting what they had done." Yes, like, and I'm I'm going back a little bit on what you're saying, like. I've come to, after being a head coach for 10 years or whatever, and like being an assistant, it's like, it opens your eyes a little bit more. Um, just kind of knowing, like, where, like, coaching girls, where they're going to go, who they're going to talk to. They're not going to talk to the head coach all the time about specific things. You bet. Um, they're going to go to the assistant or the JV coach or somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it's good and bad. Like, it's like, you don't have to come talk to the assistant. You can tell the head coach this, but they're like, oh, we can talk to the assistant better, which, mm-hmm. which is always great. But it's also like, I feel like I can be the good guy, but also I can be the bad guy. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I can sit there and listen to you, but you know what? You say this, but then you don't do it. Like mm-hmm. I can be the one that gets on you because that's, not how you said it to me, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, so I think, I think you're right. Like I think assistance in general, um, wherever you're coaching, you have to be able to build that relationship with boys or girls, whoever it is, because a lot of times you're going to have those kids are going to go to the assistant coach before they're going to go to the head coach. Yeah. And, And sometimes they need you as a sounding board. Right, to bounce bounce things off of you or just ask questions or whatever. Yep. Um, 
I think that I think it's good. Um, I think as a head coach, though, like being in that situation where I've been there before, it's like you hear it from the assistants, like, why didn't they just come talk to me about this? Mm-hmm. It frustrates you. It frustrates you. I know that for sure. Yeah. I think I've gone long enough now as a head coach that I understand that process um, personally. I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, you know, as for me, I just look at it as, hey, as long as we get, and I and I, want, I don't want to call it a problem, but the issue, the the, the situation, whatever whatever uh, term you would like to use to describe uh, the matter at hand, as long as it gets solved, that's the most important thing. And if it gets solved by talking to to Coach Hall instead of Coach Plum, so be it. You know, hey, that's okay. Right. Just so, just so we get it taken care of. If they need to come to me and we got to take it that step, that's okay. Let's let's just get things taken care of. And I and I think a a good coaching staff. And if you're comfortable in your own self as a head coach, and maybe I'm just getting seasoned and experienced enough that this is the point that I'm at. Uh, I'm, you know, just just so we keep the train moving forward. And and I think that. It gives. It also gives your assistant coaches a sense of pride and responsibility that they help contribute in ways other than stuff on the floor that they can help out with those really important things within the locker room as well. You know, you get where I'm coming from there. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think it all. I mean, I think especially in the way the society is now, mm-hmm. um, there needs to be multiple soundboards. And coaches have to, there is a head coach, but it feels like at times, I think when you talk to, when we talk to other friends that are coaches and stuff, like it takes the whole house to be able to handle situations. Mm -hmm. Um, And you've got to all be able to handle different situations, different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, be able to work it out together yeah yeah and that is what riley and westhead did not do which boils over into the big fight on the charter back from houston and i think another coaching point that you could take from this episode is you got to keep it in-house you got to keep it in-house whatever those things are i know that when i was a younger head coach if something were, were to happen uh, in a state of frustration, sometimes I would probably talk to one or two more people about the situation than I needed to uh, or than I should have. And then it probably circulated a little bit more. And I know one of the things that I've done in uh, especially you know, in the last few years, the last seven, eight years or so, is I've really kept my circle really, really small of people I can truly trust and keeping, you know, any of that type of those those really tough discussions. And and the discussion that Riley and Westhead had on the plane, there was no problem with that having that discussion. But it should have been in the office with the door closed with nobody around. Uh, what what they said the entire time was not wrong. Neither one of them were necessarily wrong in the conversation, but they they should have had it. They should have had it back, uh, back home, back in the office. And, you know, it was okay for Riley to disagree. I don't think Riley, 
uh, did anything to usurp Westhead on the sideline, or he talked to the players and they were like, "Yeah, you know, hey, I don't, th- I think Westhead's full of it, you know, or whatever." We we saw a little bad body language last week uh, with a couple of things we talked about it on the episode, but right. um, you got to keep it in house and you got to come out as a unified front. And as soon as uh, the players aren't dumb, Casey, you know that just as well as I do. Yeah. They're not dumb, and if they see a split in the coaching staff, they know something's wrong. Uh, and I think I think they were both in the right, but they were both in the wrong. Yep. The way they did it on the plane, like yep. it needed to be clear that the air needed to be cleared, but they did it the wrong place, the wrong time, where everybody and their dog could hear what was saying was being said. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, uh, I've got one or two other coaching points. Uh, do you have, what, uh, Do you have anything that we haven't talked about yet? Nope. I think we're I'm good on my side. Okay. Uh, yeah, I kind of mentioned it earlier. The locker room can be a very fickle place, um, and we spend a lot of time together. And even the best teams, uh, the teams that get along the best with the best chemistry, there's going to be some. There's going to be some stuff, you know. And I think that we spend a lot of time as coaches designing practice plans and plays and things like that. But don't forget about that locker room. And even when things are going well, chemistry wise, never take that for granted because it can turn on a dime. And, and the, that locker room can be a very, very fickle place. And, you know, bringing, bringing in a talented player or bringing back a talented player or bringing, you know, in our case, sometimes Casey, uh, you've got a kid that's uh, going to be a junior, let's say. And they've played JV as a sophomore and they think they're ready for some varsity minutes. And then all of a sudden a, a really good freshman comes in and takes away their minutes. Uh, that can that can cause some issues. And so, so in, in their case, bringing a player back from injury in our case, maybe moving up a younger player or whatever that may be. Um, just because a player is more talented, doesn't mean that it automatically means success when you're bringing somebody new into the pot as, you know, what do you call it? The broth? Is that what you said earlier? West I yeah. call it the broth. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and so, you know, just just because it would work on a video game doesn't mean it would work in real life. Uh, is that type of thing, and that's another thing that we need to think about as coaches as well. So, it, it, just that's a couple other things I wanted to add in there on that. I don't know if you have anything to to add on to it or not. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. I mean, it's the locker room is a very can be a very dynamic thing. It doesn't matter how good your team is. There's there's always going to be some type of ruffled feathers. Yeah. Um, playing time, I'm not touching the ball, whatever. But it's got to be a way that it stays in the locker room. It doesn't come outside the locker room. Mm-hmm. And then it has to be handled as a group, not just you can do your one-on-one conversations and get through all that. But in the end, it has to be whatever you have. Your all 10, let's say if you have – your 10 varsity girls in there, boys, mm-hmm. it has to be them that figure it out. Yep. Yep. And, and I think it's, I think it's anymore. I think it's on the kids more than it is the coaches. Cause we can say what we want. I mean, a lot of times though, it's going to go in one year out the other for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think the hard thing for us as coaches today is we can do a lot of good things with the team and you know they leave they leave the gym or whatever 
And when, when, you know, again, because we're seasoned and experienced, Casey, I'm not going to date us too much, but right. we, we would leave the gym and you would go home. And especially in the wintertime in Iowa, uh, there weren't a lot of things to do in a small no. town after practice, except for go home. Because most of the time you were just, it was too cold. You just wanted to stay home once you got home, you know, kind yep. of a deal. And, and so any of that stuff would stay there, you know. Uh, maybe if you got on the teen line and you, you had, you know, and you called somebody, then, then you know, that would be, but that would, that would be few and far between. Well, now kids can, can, you, you can do all these things in the locker room and a kid can walk out of the gym and they get on a social media account on some sort of app. And in 20 seconds, they can put something out there that can destroy everything that you've worked on in that entire time. Um, and, and you you know, you don't know about it because you're not, or and and you shouldn't be. <laughs> Let me be very clear: you yeah. should not be social media friends with your players on Instagram and and Twitter and 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 whatever the whatever the, all the other stuff is out there. I'm getting old right. enough; I, I don't remember what they all are. You know, so uh, and, and you're not aware of it, but all this stuff is going on in the background and you're clueless and then you're sitting there going why aren't we doing what we hope to do why why are we off why are we this why are we that well it's stuff that's just well beyond your control largely because of things like that yeah it, social media has uh changed the ball game i i would say yep and yep. and how how to handle things and what you can and can't see or hear mm -hmm. but it affects your team dynamic yes mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. So, overall grade for this episode, sir. Let's let's land the plane here. Let's bring it home here. I gave it a B plus. I gave it a B plus. I was really happy. Uh, I, I said it at the beginning. I really like the direction of the show uh, this season. Uh, there's just enough bus family intrigue. Again, I think you and I could take away a couple of the scenes with Jerry Bus, but uh, you know, I I I, I think that the emphasis this season is on the team and the team dynamics and what happened with the team and not all of these frivolous other storylines that really had nothing to do with a lot of other stuff. And so I have I have really, really enjoyed both episodes of this season. And, and I really like, I, I hope they keep things going in large part in this direction for the duration of the of the show. So I gave it a really I gave it a really, really solid B plus this week. I, I, I don't think you can nudge me up to an A minus, but I'm definitely not going to drop it uh, back to a B uh, to a B. Uh, I, I'm really I'm really solid in that B plus area. Yeah, I had B plus B right in there. Um, like you said, I thought it was really good um, for the first two episodes. They have done a really good job of the flow, um, entertaining everything, entertaining us with basketball stuff on the court, off the court stuff. And there aren't so many dead spots, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, that just kind of lag on too much. Um, mm -hmm. even though this episode was short, like we said at the beginning here, um, but it had a good flow to it. It didn't seem like, I mean, it was 45 minutes, 45 minutes went fast yeah. watching it. Yes. It um, but we'll see if they continue to keep the short episodes or go back to a little around an hour. But um, I thought it was really good with what they tried to do, showing different sides um, of management and then uh, 
uh, team dynamics. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Great minds think alike, my friend. Always. <laughs> there we go. So, uh, episode 12 of Winning Time, season two, episode two. The magic is back. Uh, unfortunately, not so much for the 81 Los Angeles Lakers, and that's where we will leave things at this week. Casey and I will be back with next week's episode, episode number three of season two, and the name of that episode, sometimes they put it on uh, the week before here. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, it is called The Second Coming. The Second Coming is what next weekend's or next week's episode is called, so... I don't know. We'll have to see what it's all about. But it looks like they're only going to have seven episodes. They're they're still sticking with seven episodes on okay. uh, on on the Wikipedia page here. So um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll cover it regardless. We'll we'll, we'll put it out there. We'll cover it. So uh, Casey, thanks again for your time, buddy. I appreciate it. Good stuff. Yeah, good time. Always always good talking to you, man. Yep. All right. We'll uh, stay each other via the text here on the on the committee uh, text chain here and, and amongst oh, other yeah. things. So. Uh, yeah, great, great talking, uh, great having Casey, uh, on the, on the episode this week again, and we'll be back next week. Hope you folks enjoyed it. If you have any questions, comments, uh, whatever, you know, uh, Casey will be tagged on this. You know how to get a hold of me. So I hope you enjoyed our, 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 uh, our review of, uh, episode 12 of Winning Time here, season two, episode two, The Magic is Back. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to support our craft one day 